0: The CARE podcast is a way to engage the community when we cannot physically be with you. We believe that it is important to provide many different ways of engagement for our community. And a podcast is just another extension for you to join us in our efforts to continue conversations around social determinants. We believe that this conversation can be had in many ways and should be available to you always. In our podcast, we will largely be tackling all facets of social determinants, such as racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, and many more, and the forms they take in our society. We hope that we are able to be a vehicle of knowledge and increase communal responsibility for the communities that we serve. And this is our third episode, and this episode we welcome Jonathan Mendoza. Uh, We are going to be talking about art and movement building. Hi Jonathan, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm good, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. Could you tell us your name, your pronouns, what you do, what your interests are?
1: Yeah, definitely. My name is Jonathan Mendoza. I use he, him, his pronouns. Uh, I am from uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, but I am based in Chicago, um, in Pilsen specifically, where I work as a housing and youth organizer for Pilsen Alliance. I'm also a teaching artist with Young Chicago Authors. Uh, mostly in the Little Village and Back of the Yards areas um, in the, like, southwest side of Chicago. Um, And I'm also a freelance artist, uh, social justice, youth arts educator, um, and do some other organizing on the side, too.
0: That's amazing. Um, And my name is Cheyenne, as you've all met me before. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. Um, I'm a community organizer at CARE. And just to get into the conversation around art um, and just social justice, I think it's important for us to just define what social justice. And so I think my question for you is, what do you feel like social justice is to you or even just decolonization in some words?
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a question I ask a lot, and then I never remember to answer it myself. (laughs) Um, I think it's it's pretty evolving for me. I think as I learn about different frameworks, I think for some people, um, it looks like uh, communalism, it looks like decolonization, uh, you know, socialism, uh, communism, like there's so many different ways that I think people envision um, social justice and liberation, I guess, like At its core, um, I think it's a moment where I acknowledge, like, equality in addition to equity. I think, like, equity is the way to get there um, by, you know, leveraging people's resources so that um, folks who've been more oppressed and more marginalized, like, have the the ability um, to become equals. But I think, like, equality is a vision. Like, what is the world in which everyone has um beyond their basic needs and uh, necessities like also has um the opportunity to have fulfilling and joyful lives um and wellness all around them and and the ability to live um long healthy happy uh lives w- with people they love and I think that can sound really like um i don't know preschooly <laughs> but <laughs> but at the end of the day I think like that is the vision that we're striving for. And, and, if, um, you know, politics and organizing, uh, and even sometimes lobbying is like the way that we get there. Um, those are just like the things on our to-do list, uh, that we have to check off to, to get to that world where people are, are fully liberated.
0: So you think that equity is a step towards equality?
1: I guess in a way. Yeah. Um, I think, like, equality is kind of the vision, like, what is the world in which we're all fully equal, um, but in order to get there, like, folks who've been most marginalized and oppressed um, mm-hmm. need and deserve uh, more resources, more things that have been stripped away from them um, over the past many hundreds of years, if not thousands, right?
0: mm-hmm. I'm really interested in this idea of equity being a step towards equality, but I'm also kind of hesitant on that um one because i'm thinking of if we have lived in a world for so long where we've seen what it looks like to not be equal can we ever really i guess like forget or move in a world that we are supposed in which we are supposed to be equal when we're giving this when we're given this equity finally
1: yeah I say interesting thought. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Um yeah, I guess I think like that is that's like the long term objective. Mm-hmm. Um is for like no uh no like single group to be um marginalized under another. Um and I don't know if that's like fully possible, but um I guess when I think about like what's the world I'm fighting for, and like, um, also from like a transformative justice approach, like how yeah. how how I've seen like people take the harm that is caused and, and um, unpack it uh, to to kind of create a new like balance of power between people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that I'm interested in.
0: I am too. Um, and so you mentioned that you're a freelance artist, and so I'm wondering what has art done for you in terms of your journey and figuring out what social justice is, what, de- what the decolonizing process is for you?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think at its core, like art has been the way that I've been able to process information, um, especially in ways that like academia um has not been able to do for me so i think back to like when i was four or five six years old and i was just obsessed with like storytelling um like from a really early age i wanted to be a movie director because i wanted to like tell stories um in a way that like was expressive of my own passion um but that also was like really captivating for other audiences to um be more engaged in, in stories about like justice and liberation. Um, Not that I had like those, uh, that language like (laughs) from four, (laughs) five or six years old. Um, But, uh, and I think that that was, you know, that was art. And I think it still is art. Um, And I think as I grew older, like coming into middle school and high school, um, I think the more that like, the kind of like traditional English canon was placed in front of me so sort of like Shakespeare um and uh just different like 1800s american old white men poets right. um i think the more that i like rejected that and pushed it away and it made me like really distant from like history um in a way that i wasn't before uh and i don't think it was until i was like reintroduced to art and like spoken word specifically um, that it just seemed like art seemed like a way to like communicate um, history and experiences uh, in a way that like the intention was to engage. Like the intention was to like captivate your audience like in the moment. Like I think especially with spoken word and the first few like open mics and poetry slams that I went to, I felt like in those moments in that three minute time span that whoever was on stage was like speaking to me and they were trying to get my attention, um, and express an experience or a lesson, um, or whatever it is that they wanted to communicate. Um, so I think since around then when I was like 17 and 18 and like started experiencing poetry slams for the first time, I was like, Oh, wow, this three minutes like really altered my perspective on this thing. Um, how can I like replicate that? How can I do that myself? So Um, Not only was art um, from the beginning, like, a way for me to to process information in new ways and digest it in a way that was, like, um, just more productive, I guess, Um, but also once I started creating, like, poems of my own, I was then more interested in engaging with different um, essays and and articles and documentaries and um, more things that, like, just directly covered politics and history and that kind of thing um and then made me want to um communicate that information like translate that knowledge through art in the same way that it had done for me so um I think it's kind of like the people's media in a way it's a it's a way for folks to um be able to do that kind of communication with each other as opposed to just having it come from like an English or history textbook in their high school or from um, some really heady content in, in like grad school or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So art was kind of like your your gateway into rejecting dominant, dominant narratives, like a sort of?
1: Yeah, I'd say so, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. So in that sense, do you think that art in any form is necessary just to be able to understand social justice? Maybe not to start it, but I think maybe in some form in that journey, um of like trying to decolonize yourself trying to fight for uh people's equity do you think that art is one of the vehicles that is necessary
1: yeah definitely um yeah I think that there is art in like more places than I tend to recognize um I think like we see art in like design and aesthetics um but also, in people's communication like i don't I don't know that people fully realize like how often um we use like metaphor in our language and our just day to day communication um and especially when I think folks are thinking about like art and organizing and that there's like a divider between the two, I don't know that people always like um analyze people's speeches at rallies like through an artistic lens. Like, I think sometimes people just distinguish the difference between like a speech and a poem is just like the cadence or something. And Mm -hmm. I think um, sometimes the poems are, uh, can be very like speech-like and like call to action-like and include all of the same devices and tactics of like a rallying speech. Um, And I also think, like, rallying speeches can be super poetic. Um, And so just even engaging with social justice in that way and understanding that, like, you know, the next time I go to a protest, I'm going to, like, kind of see and and digest the way that, like, speakers are communicating their message, both with, like, their body, their facial expression, their movements, um, but then also from, like, the very words that they're saying and how they're saying them. Um, like in understanding that, there, that there's an art to that also um, and that is another way to experience social justice so I, I think just generally um, being passionate and strategic about the way you communicate your message like that, that involves art too um, and so I, go, I guess in that sense um, that a lot of engagement with like social justice and, and social justice struggles is, is engaging with art too
0: yeah, I think I I have to agree. I think when you were talking it made me like it reminded me of all the work I've also done with young people and just seeing how like they'll do like really tiny things like maybe color their hair or <laughs> or like wear certain shoes or something like that. Um and it is out of like self-determinance and out of um I guess going against the status quo, mm-hmm. but they don't but they don't realize that. Um and it's just something that's just happening for them. And this doesn't just apply to young people, applies to everyone, but I've seen it more so in young people, just the fluidity of being able to just do what you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I think, I also think that's it's like some form of art as well, when you're just being able to be yourself um, and kind of not allow uh, dominant narratives to be applicable in how you move in your life. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what I was thinking of
1: yeah definitely no i i think yeah in fashion too like i think yeah. i think it can be seen everywhere in just how folks present themselves not only through like their language but also like visually yeah for sure
0: right um so i think this next question may involve some identity politics may not um <laughs> but i think the next question is in what ways do you know of um in, in the ways that have like marginalized folks use art uh, as an act of defiance against like white supremacy or colonialism or anything like that.
1: Hmm. In what ways do I know that folks have used art in defiance of white supremacy and colonialism? Right. I mean, I think like going back to what we were sort of talking about earlier, I guess like. I'll take it like the, the young people today, for example. So on the day that we're recording this podcast, um, there's going to be a, a action in a few hours um, in Pilsen, in, in, uh, in Chicago, um, that the young folks of Pilsen Alliance and Chicago D.C. Youth Rising have organized. Um, and what they wanted, uh, I'm not going to speak for them, so you guys should go check out like the, the footage of the action, because I know it's going to be great. Um, is wanting, like, at the core of the protest to be culture. Um, And so they have, like, invited, like, mariachi groups um, and different uh, music and dance and cultural groups from Chicago youth rising side um, of South Asian communities in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, like, I'm kind of juxtaposing that in my brain with the media... uh, media's rhetoric of, of protest movements across the city, um, which obviously, like, are very much linked to city officials. Um, and they, of course, run to get the quote from, um, you know, CPD officers, Chicago Police Department officers, and, and chief of police. Uh, and I think like that, I see that as like largely the dominant narrative. Um, and so I think the young people like rejecting that Um, in so many different creative ways, but especially using art and culture um, to both, like, engage their own community members. So, like, acknowledging that, like, a lot of middle-aged Mexican folks in in Chicago, um, people who are maybe, like, first-gen, people who aren't, like, accessing a lot of English language media, and, like, you know, Telemundo and Univision, like, a lot of these media outlets are not doing good jobs at all on reporting on on the substance of the protest movements like this may be one of their first times like engaging um with activism around like the black lives matter uprisings Mm -hmm. um and the cops out of schools movements in a way that like they can connect to with their culture um so seeing mariachi groups like perform at a cops out of schools uh rally like i think helps folks draw those connections of like where Mm -hmm where our allegiances may better lie um so i think like especially knowing that a lot of um like at least from mexican dancing culture like a lot of that is rooted in indigenous tradition um and really fully acknowledging that um and advocating like those connections between you know mexican groups but also with the the desi youth um and the, the young Black leaders um, in Chicago's Police for Schools movements, and also with the in- young Indigenous leaders of Chicago. I think just, like, ways to use culture um, that is not white dominated to, like, resist policing uh, and white supremacy and state violence um, in our protest movements. I think, like, that just seems like such a key way um, to connect with one another um, both like within our cultural groups but also across them um so i'm really inspired by them uh i think <laughs> i find myself rambling because i'm just really excited and um and inspired by them but um i think that's one key way that i'm i'm seeing folks like resist the the narrative that's going to be like created by media because i think no matter how you know wgn or whoever it is abc news fox news tries to spin it like um, there's no way that they can ignore that um, people are mobilizing and organizing their communities against white supremacy by saying like here's our culture and here's how it is so different from like the culture of policing that you've created.
0: Right and I think uh, one thing that you said that really stuck with me is the connection between the culture and the white dominant dominant mm-hmm. narrative because um, I instantly like I'm also X, and so dancing is like a very big part of of like the culture. Um, and so whenever I think about art being used as, a, as an act of defiance, I think of art in itself as being like bodily dance movements and being able to move your body. Um, and so, yeah, when I was thinking about that, I was just like, yeah, like dancing is definitely <laughs> one of those ways where you can be like, oh yes, this is something that we do that is for us. And we can use it to help under, other people understand um, that this is something that something is happening. Something is happening that we have to fight against. Um, and yeah, so I was just thinking about that. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs>
1: yeah, no,
0: definitely. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was something that brought brought something up for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think my question for you personally is: What ways are you using art um, now? Uh, in order to fight for social justice.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think a lot of ways are on my mind and I think I am very much like in a moment of exploration of what that looks like and learning. Um, so like a little bit of context on me. So I, uh, my dad is a musician. Uh, my grandfather was a musician, like a lot of musicians on the da- my dad's side of my family. Um, and then my mom, uh, has worked in, um, like healthcare, um, in public health for a long time, um, and currently works for, uh, women, infants, and children in Massachusetts. Um, and I think, like, I sort of grew up at this intersection of recognizing the, the, like, power of art from my dad's lens, um, but then also recognizing, um, like, really widespread need, um, in terms of like people's just wellness and livelihoods from my mom's end and her her passion for um, public health Uh, and so I think I've just from a very early age like five six years old again like was really passionate about that intersection of like how can art be used um, to to support uh, like these movements for for liberation um, and justice and so I think uh, I that's like what kind of led me to um, Berkeley College of Music which is where I eventually ended up studying before that I was at Emerson College for a little bit exploring like film and, and social change but then went to Berkeley for um, kind of made my own degree in like arts for social advocacy uh, and so since then I've been like trying to merge these two bubbles because I think for a long time it's been like we can either talk about organizing through art Or we can organize and occasionally talk about art. Um, And I think those bubbles like kind of have remained separate for a while. And to be honest, it still feels kind of separate. And I don't want that to be the case. Um, I guess to like in more concrete images kind of paint for folks like what that looks like. I think there's like the poetry classroom where I'm teaching a poetry workshop through some organization organization. Um, and we'll talk about the poem, we'll write a poem, and it'll be a lot of times, like, talking about social justice themes um, through the poetry, and I think that's super important and wonderful. Um, and then on the other end, like, in the different bubble, um, there's, like, direct action organizing where we're, like, uh, getting folks to put together a protest action or something like that, and then thinking about how can we Um, include art in our action like bring art in Um, and that's like a different bubble so there's definitely like overlap Um, but I think what I'm really interested in is like how what areas can we focus on like merging the two to like really empower social justice movements more widely Um, so some of that looks like uh, for me like straight up organizing artists like I think a lot of artists Um, feel very passionate about, um, like, political and social justice organizing um, and don't necessarily feel like they have the knowledge or skills to really plug in in a meaningful way. Um, So sometimes they'll be, like, looped into things, but um, what are ways that they can also um, be part of building these movements and have, like, their minds at the table when the the political campaigns are being designed. So um, things I'm really interested in is like organizing writers uh, and authors uh, around Amazon, recognizing that like a lot of people buy their books and and writings like on Amazon um, and just knowing how Amazon is messed up in so many ways, um, including like the oppression of their their own workers, but also uh, you know being one of the main ways that the police and ICE and DHS are able to like build out their surveillance state like and a lot of writers are writing about these topics and then their books are being sold on Amazon so that's one example of like how can we actually like organize artists have artists be present at the table um, to confront the, these issues in like really concrete ways. Um, and then also looking at like having artist ambassadors for certain movements. So, um, if there are people who, you know, artists who have clearly demonstrated support um, for certain movements, like, are there ways that they can feel a part of a movement in ongoing ways as opposed to just um, supporting here and there when like it seems obvious? Um, but are there ways that they can really be like at the table with helping? design campaigns um, and injecting some of their creativity into it Um, and then I think the last thing that I'll say is that like a lot of arts industries as we've seen are like obviously really embedded with capitalism (laughs) and like all the all the things that we talk about that are harming communities so capitalism and and white supremacy and um, I think fully confronting that I feel like sometimes it's shied away from like art exists in this different kind of sphere like um capitalism has to do with like um the products that we consume you know the the shampoo bottles that we buy and and the furniture that we use and we don't really look at like oh the music that we listen to and the films that we watch like those exist in capitalist structures too and like how our workers and low-income Um, uh, wage earners like in those industries being oppressed and think like how can we actually radicalize these industries themselves um, is something that I'm like down the line (laughs) interested in exploring Um, I feel like there's a good amount on my plate right now but someday (laughs) someday I want to think more about that
0: Mm -hmm. and so when you were speaking I was thinking about uh, you mentioned political and then I was also thinking of art and so um to me art in itself is political because there's some form of trying to have some reservations like you're trying to reserve culture you're trying to reserve um I guess some sanity (laughs) in this world um and so I'm not sure if I have a question here but I think just thinking about art in itself being a political like existence um how how do those two match up when they come in in contact in a capitalistic society? Um, And I'm not sure if there's an answer to that question, but I think it's worth thinking about um, because oftentimes art is usually dismissed if it's not being able to be consumed, um, Mm. if it's not for sale or if it's not uh, easily accessible. Um, And I think that that, in itself is important to mention I don't know if you have thoughts on that
1: yeah definitely um, I probably do I think like, <laughs> I think um, I don't know I, I think like there's a, a classic example of like someone making a political statement um, in a museum that costs $35 to get an entry ticket right to- <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you know the museum is owned by who knows some billionaires who are like giving x amount of millions of dollars to the endowment for the museum, and like um I mean, I just think there are so many ways that art can be like co-opted and brought into the museum space or you know not not just a physical museum but also like um some of the like the really prestigious elite literary magazines that everyone reads but like the board of those organizations are like all a bunch of rich old white people (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. um I don't know I think in terms of like 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 for me going back to um what I was talking about earlier of like open mics and poetry slams being like one of the ways that I feel like I got like a pretty bad education in social justice like I think that was so it felt very um like democratized in a way that like a lot of people had access to just these open mics and and uh not all of it was good (laughs) some of it I think was really bad political art or art that was political um but in a way, like, I was able to digest um, what I wanted to and was able to and, and research more into a topic that maybe, like, someone mentioned. And I think, I I feel like I learned so much more than from those spaces than um, any of these, like, billion-dollar-funded museums or, um, you know, some of these, like, literary prizes or things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, like, for me, I just want... Um, mass consumption for, for people not in a way that's like um, art getting you know millions of dollars of, of investment and then it can be broadcast wherever through advertisements or on the radio or anything like that but more so um, like art that just like really resonates with people in a deep and meaningful way and can be shared on Twitter for free or whatever I, I think that that's not always accessible for every artist and like people still need streams of income Um, but I would love for like that to kind of be the objective, um, um, for, for people's art to be kind of like, just made more accessible to everyone Mm -hmm. in a way, as opposed to being like this prestigious elite thing, um, that like, you know, a few people get like a, a prize to, to share with everyone, like whether it's a literary prize or whatever, um or it's acknowledged by the grammys or the oscars like any of these (laughs) like prestigious elite prizes that are donned on on some of these artists um and then sometimes like especially when it's like quote-unquote political art um sometimes it's written like really academic ways that don't always feel super accessible to the folks who are actually most um oppressed by those topics um So I don't know. That's something I I try to think about with my own art is just like accessibility as much as possible, um, especially around like class and language and um, like who's able to digest my art. And um, is it able to be like shared? Um, I think it's like a way for it to be, you know, sort of as like, I I guess I touched on earlier, like uh, for it to be like the people's media in a way.
0: So you mentioned your own art and trying to make it more accessible. I think, because um, a lot of times there's there's instances uh, where people will, again, like you said, co-opt or not even be able to understand art in the way that it's intended. How do you, I guess, kind of combat that when you're making your own
1: art? Hmm. Um. I think, I feel like I've been learning to make that like an intentional thing for my work. Cause I think early on, um, when I was writing more for like the poetry slam space um, and I was like in high school and wanted to share a powerful poem with my peers um, around some subject. And, And there were other high schoolers who were also not super interested in poetry outside of like performance poetry. I was like, okay, how do I make this um, poem in a way that like really resonates with other 10th, 11th and 12th graders? Um, And then as I got into college, it was still like, okay, how can my work resonate again um, with folks who are like freshmen, sophomores, juniors in college? Uh, And then coming out of that, I think the trajectory is often like, okay, how can I complicate my work more and make it more abstract so that it can be viewed as like really um, what's the word like esoteric uh, and that it can make it into like a really prestigious lit mag as <laughs> like and I think that was like became the objective for a minute there and then I feel like I had to pull myself back and think about like well what was the actual reason that I got into this to begin with like I really love spoken word as a kid like when I was a sophomore in high school because of how accessible it was for me and that it wasn't Longfellow or Yeats or Shakespeare Mm -hmm. and like I could actually understand what they were talking about and it made social justice really important for me um and so when when I realized that I was like sort of starting to do that and I still have to catch myself to this day like that's not a process I, I feel like I've completed um is uh yeah i mean just that that became like really essential for me um and so i think it it's uh i don't know i guess i try to step into my practice with intentionally making sure that like the young people that i organize with and folks who are not um like uh primarily english uh language speakers um like can access my work and like i i really want to spend more time translating my poems into Spanish so that um more people can access it in that way especially given that like I talk a lot about my family's migration stories and and things like that like um yeah I just I kind of want it to be uh more accessible in that way and feel like I I want to constantly fight this impulse to like make my words fancier (laughs) than they need to be um just so that they can be viewed in in a more elite way
0: that makes sense um yeah i think there's a there's like this very like running theme when it comes to poetry and poetry slams of like we have to put a lot of metaphors in this (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it makes it like really like esoteric as you said like really fancy um Mm. and and that it wasn't born from that it was really just (laughs) you know just saying your feelings in a way that has a cadence in a way that like people can understand um and even not just poetry um it applies to everything else as well um it started from being a mode of accessibility for the most marginalized people um yeah and so yeah um but i think in in terms of that when we think about art and how we engage with it how do you engage with art in a healthy way while also being careful to not use it as a form of like escaping from something else like escaping from certain feelings or escaping from the environment that you're in um yeah
1: Hmm. that's a really good question Um, yeah I guess it's I guess for me it's like largely about what am I capable of processing at any given moment um like sort of as touched on earlier, like uh, art has sort of been a way for me to process information coming to me from the outside. Um, And it's also been a way for me to like process information or experiences that are happening more like internally, like inside of me that I wanna get out in some way. Uh, And I think, I think there can be a balance um, in terms of, like, the content that I, I feel capable of digesting at any given moment. Um, and I think, like, on a, on a kind of, like, health and wellness level, like, how we understand that balance of, like, what we're capable of, of digesting and processing, like, in, in our youth program, I remember I learned, um, you know, early on when I was, like, 17 or 18 um, at an organization called the City School, Um, in Boston, uh, was these like kind of three layers, um, these three zones of comfort. So there's like your inner safety bubble, like the comfort zone, what you're most comfortable with um, and not challenged by. And then outside of that, there's like the growing your learning zone. Um, And that's, you know, challenging yourself a little bit um, in order to like have new experiences um process new information that can like ultimately enhance your growth. Uh, and then outside of that is like the danger zone, um, which is where we're not actually able to process information. We're more so just like re triggering or re traumatizing ourselves. Um, and that's not actually like helpful for our growth um, or helpful for us to like be able to continue being in that learning zone long term. Um, so I guess just like understanding Um, like the barriers between those zones and knowing both that like there are certain physical um, things that we can be mindful of, of of when we're entering like the more re-traumatizing or like danger zone. Um, And sometimes those are just physical sensations like sweating or um, like kind of like checking out, like disassociating from, from your, like your present reality. So just like not being fully aware of your surroundings Um, kind of like freezing in that way Uh, and so detecting when that happens and when we need to like retreat back to our like safety or comfort zone but also on the other end um, when we feel like we're not growing in a way and and we're kind of just like settled in our comfort zone um, which can be necessary sometimes but also if we want to like challenge ourselves to grow um, and to understand new experiences um, that we can try to find healthy ways to do that um so that might not entail like going to uh you know like i've been watching the the immigration nation series on netflix um which has been like really powerful uh and important i think for myself and like many other people to see um but can also be like extremely uh traumatizing for those who like do have a close connection um to those experiences um so I think it it depends, you know, like for me, I think that's like an area where I want to like challenge myself to, to more understand those experiences firsthand, especially since like I have spent some good amount of time, like organizing around those issues, despite not having been, um, directly, uh, in those situations. Um, but for other people, like that is, that is not necessary for, for them to like re-traumatize themselves in that way. So, um, I just think, like, as we grow, trying to learn um, what our comfort levels are, um, what where's, like, our growing zone, but then also having other people around us to, to help us through that process, because it's not always to see just, like, by yourself, um, like, what you're capable of digesting in terms of, like, art and content that might be, like, triggering or re-traumatizing, um, but also that some people can help you realize like hey actually you have been like in this kind of comfort safety zone this escapism zone um and like I want to remind you of like your goals ambitions and like intentions um to be more connected to to these experiences and and that kind of leads you to action more Mm
0: -hmm. so that makes me think of when you're talking about like the danger zone I know a lot of organizers and even myself sometimes where we will continue to go like just keep being on keep being there for people keep doing events keep doing keep producing right um and even in that sense of being able to consume content for ourselves consume um art for ourselves there comes this point where we are kind of like burned out but also like desensitized to the things that we're doing Mm. do you think that do you think that when people are consuming art in media, there runs a like a, a high risk of being desensitized to all of the information coming out too? Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's super possible. Um, I feel like I haven't experienced that as much on my own. Um, I feel like in large part, it might be because like a lot of my like, day-to-day work um is like focusing on these issues and um that's definitely like uh uh, it feels like a privilege for me um and so like it it, for me sometimes it's like regardless of whether or not I feel like desensitized from a certain issue like I still I'm going to like show up uh the next day and like continue working on this project or, or campaign or whatever Um, and I think that for folks who like organize, um, in a more like volunteer basis, like outside of their, um, their regular jobs, like the burnout, I feel like can be more real. Um, whereas like, it's more like people ask themselves the question, like, do I actually have like the energy, um, and emotional capacity to like keep being involved in this way? Um, and sometimes that's that's no, you know, and I, and I think that's, like, okay, um, and, like, people should be able to take that time for themselves, um, and then that's also, like, where, like, the organizing piece comes in of just um, decentralizing and making sure that our movements are, like, broad enough, have enough diverse skill sets in them that anyone can step out at any given moment and someone else can step in um, and we can kind of, like, share the energy like that. Um, I don't know if this is answering your question. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, is. <laughs> it is.
0: It is, it um, is. That makes me think of, like, how you said um, art kind of acts as a mediator between your comfort zone and your um, growth zone. And so I know for, for me and a, and a lot of other people right now, social media is one of the ways that people get, like, really burned out. Um yes. <laughs> And even just going on, well, people would usually use Instagram or Facebook or Twitter as a form of escapism, as a healthy form of escapism for, like, 20 minutes. Um, but now when you go on, it's all, like, resources, it's all petitions, it's all everything all at once. Um, and so I think, I think I a, I'm coming to a question, but it's, like, how... I think how can you use art or any form of escapism right now um, in a really like balanced way Um, because I feel like there's a lot of a, a lot of high like intensity around everything right now especially because the pandemic because of the murders of black and brown people. Um, and everything that has been happening, one for for decades and centuries, but especially now. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if that's a question, but I think just yeah. thinking about like, or maybe just like, how do you balance that? Like when you get on Instagram or when you go on Facebook, <laughs> what do you do in terms of like, okay, I'm gonna process this right now. Like, do you compartmentalize, do you use art? Like, what is your process?
1: Oh, man. Um, I do not have a good one. <laughs> That's something I, I definitely, like, struggle with. I think I I feel like I have, like, the shortest attention span and the longest attention span
0: sometimes.
1: <laughs> like, I think when it's things that have, like, gripped me, I have, like, such a difficult time pulling away. And I think especially with social media, if there's, like, something comes up, that I feel like I have to pay attention to, like, I will just totally rabbit hole in there. Um, and just, yeah, just not come out for a while. Like I will just try to process as much as I can and like really not be able to let go, uh, in a way that isn't productive. And I think that's something I'm trying to work on a lot, um, because I think can be really energy draining, um, and that is energy that I could use, that I know I could use better towards actually, like, confronting or addressing the issue at hand. Um, yeah, I, I think, like, trying to assess, like, what is the key information that I need to know in order to be able to move on? And, like, how many minutes, like, what is the actual, like, concrete time limit that I need? in order to be able to get that information um so if it's something about like a, a, a like a, a police violence police brutality at a, at a direct action um you know in chicago or something um and then just thinking through like what is the information that i need to know um and then also like what what is my time limit for that um for processing that information and then like what action can i try to take um i think that's like really hard because like my instinctual reaction is just to like keep learning keep scrolling keep like engaging and trying to like understand what's happening because that's just like intuitively like i i want to know and i feel like emotionally connected and i'm just trying to understand so that i can process it and not feel like so chaotically like lost um but i think that can be really hard Uh, and I think the other thing that it comes down to is just like my other areas of wellness. Um, because I think when I am like physically depleted of energy, um, because of, you know, these kinds of things like draining my sleep or my eating habits or, um, ways that I'm taking care of my physical wellness, like that'll kind of propel that cycle where then it's like, okay, now I have less energy, I'm going to be even more entrenched in like, um looking at these things and letting it drain me more, so I think like finding those moments where I'm able to just like hit the stop button on like mm-hmm. um engaging with media um in a way that's like um deenergizing and just uh hitting the stop button and like confronting like what is it that I physically need in order to be able to move forward in in a healthy and productive way um and then taking those action steps um And I think also knowing that like the moments have been urgent for a long time, like it feels like they're especially urgent now, Um, but also recognizing that it's been urgent for for a minute now and it's going to be urgent for a while. So this, you know, this isn't a short term thing, like we we need to all learn how can we sustainably continue to be engaged with with these issues because we're going to need to be for the long haul.
0: Right. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a really like short burst recently of like, yes, you need to get this done um, from a lot of like people who have not been doing this work for a long time. And then the people who have, I've noticed they're just like, okay, <laughs> like mm-hmm. we, we know like this is going to take at least, at least a decade. So let's, let's pace ourselves. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think, um, especially even for me, when I am, constantly learning or constantly consuming things um that are like I'm like yeah I should be learning about these things or like you said like it really grips me and I can't like let it go until I <laughs> until I like learn about it um I think even that can be a danger zone like because even if you're learning and even if it's paced out throughout the day you're still running the risk of pushing yourself beyond your limits um, mm-hmm. And, like, without even noticing it, like, like you said, like, your body might be physically depleted, and your mind not be. Um, And I think, like you said, like, being able to be in wellness and be in yourself and being able to recognize what's happening in your body is something that's especially important. Um, Yeah. When we're talking about, like, what does it mean to consume all of these things all of the time? um, And how do we separate Um, between that and ourselves and if there is a separation Uh. definitely
1: yeah and I think also like remembering that like we uh, like I try to remember remind myself that like I have things to do (laughs) and it's not like things that are worth ignoring like I am very fortunate that I like get to um, organize around like a lot of these things as like my day-to-day job and so like being another person um among like thousands of others who are like scrambling on twitter at any given moment like probably isn't the best use of my time and like (laughs) there are other things that I've been engaged with and I'm like lucky to be engaged with that I can support with um and so like going back to that table um and addressing those to-dos um I think just feels like a key reminder for for myself and, and others who yeah, I think, like you said, have been engaged in the work and kind of, like, with seeing the whole world's, like, sprint to social media every couple of days or hours, like, um, can kind of, like, hopefully we can take a deep breath in some of these moments and think, like, okay, what is what is the, the way to, like, address this moment? Um, and, like, if there are other ways that we can be supportive, like, outside of social media, um, like, what is that? And I think a lot of really fantastic organizers are doing that and are taking um, you know have been taking that leadership for a while and are continuing to do so and so I think um, looking to them uh, and kind of just more assessing like how we can support in more meaningful ways Mm -hmm. um, can be really key.
0: So I think I think one of my last questions for you is that um, when you feel this balance of like consuming and also like I guess internalizing like it's 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 thrown off balance what do you do to then bring yourself back within I guess like your body and be like okay I need a break and I need to step away from this for a moment
1: yeah I think I I've realized over time that like my body will tell me
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and sometimes like I like I'm like screaming the an for, for the answer. Like, I'm like, what should I do? What do I need to do? Like, why, why don't I feel well enough to be energized and, and do the work that I'm passionate about? Um, And then sometimes like my body is like right here. It's like, I have been telling you and you have not been listening. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think just like literally last night, like I was like trying to like push myself to do like all these things, I was behind on, and then finally, I was like, I'm just going to rest. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to rest for, like, 20 minutes, yeah. and, you know, it was one of those classic, wonderful, book groggy, like, oh, my God, it's three hours later naps, <laughs> um, which was good, <laughs> ultimately. Um, and I think just um, being able to, like, try to listen to our bodies when there's, like, so much noise around us um, is going to continue to be really key. Um, and not only, like, listening to what our bodies are telling us, but also, like, communicating to others, like, what our bodies are telling us. So when we listen um, and, like, realize that we need rest or we need food or we need, um, you know, compassion from friends or family or, or whatever it is, um, being able to communicate those needs to each other um, and, and just be more vulnerable, I think, is, like, really key, um, Which, you know, speaking of, like, colonialism and and capitalism and just being so hyper-focused on, on, um, like, the 9 to 5 productivity in that way um, is, like, not what we've been taught. Um, But I think finding ways to um, better, like, communicate our our energy, like, the energy we have and our needs to each other um, is going to make, like, our movements, like, far more robust and, and sustainable for the long term.
0: Right, I agree, and I also think that, like, similar to you, whenever I get run down, my body tells me first, um and I usually before I even tell anybody else, um I I usually verbalize it out loud, actually, and I'm like, okay, I'm hungry, and like mm-hmm. I'll say it out loud so that I can recognize that I'm hungry, because oftentimes I'll I'll be like, okay, I'll think about it, um and then I'll just forget it. Yeah, <laughs> and I won't, I'll eat for like three hours. <laughs> yeah so exactly i'll be like yes i'm hungry i should go make some food and then 10 minutes later i'll be like did i just say i'm hungry <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely
1: I think no
0: I... it's like a guess, like, like a moment of being like okay you're talking to yourself you're communicating with yourself and then you tell other people oh we should go get some food <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah I, I yeah i do the same thing i'll often like have to write it out for myself um that just feels helpful to like see it in front of me whether it's on on my computer screen or like my iPhone notes just like literally fleshing out like okay what is it that I'm feeling right now um and that can be really helpful for me moving forward
0: right well this has been an amazing conversation I'm not sure if you have any extra thoughts any questions um if if I want to open the floor for that before we close
1: yeah, um no this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Um I think like in summary like for me I'm I'm really interested in like um art kind of just continuing to be uh like one of many limbs on this like movement building body um and thinking of like I guess for any artists listening to this Um, How can you like attach yourself as a limb um, to the movements and um, be able to like show up in in consistent ways in which you're like actually part of the process of designing campaigns and and strategizing uh, and really thinking of like how artists can use their platform um, and their leverage to really like shift the conversation in, in really meaningful ways. Um, And I think similarly from the end of organizers, I think sometimes we don't think of artists until like we need exactly what it is they do. It's like, okay, we're going to throw an event. Let's have a singer. Now we'll contact the artists. Mm -hmm. Um, But what would it look like to bring the singer in to like design the event from the get go um, and to like really inject their creativity and think about what is that singer's platform? Who was that singer's base? All their twitter followers like what what are all the ways that that entire um base could be involved in the movement from the get-go um so just more so really thinking of how we can like fuse um media influencers and and artists uh with the the organizing movements that were uh that we've been creating um in ways that can really like uh enhance the the long-term fight for justice is something I'm really passionate about so that's that's my last words (laughs) no more
0: they were amazing words thank you for them um I'm so glad that you agreed to do this podcast I think it was amazing I mean this episode I think it was amazing um for you to be able to um and also shout out to the young people in Pilsen um, doing amazing work shout out to the young people in Boston doing amazing work um and everywhere really um I think the young people are really the only way we're going to get out of this mess um, oh, yeah. <laughs> saying that as like a young adult i think that's like the yeah, only way definitely. um but yeah thank you i appreciate you so much um and i hope you're able to listen to your body later on today
1: yes thank you that's such a great reminder to tell someone yeah. well. thank you so much Dan, for having me on this is great conversation no
0: problem i'll see you later
1: all right take care
0: bye-bye was brought to you by the Otsuka Foundation. In addition, this podcast would not have been possible without the support from the community surrounding care. We want you to listen in for our next episode and stay connected through our Facebook page, MGH Care, and our Twitter page, MGH Care Research.